I'll read out the last couple of uh, trademarks that Matilda Bay Brewing Company have, uh, have registered, Prof, because they really are trying a lot of different things. Little Ripper, Sebastian, Oink, Fat Yak, Barking Flamingo, Barking Duck, Garage Reserve, Big Helga, um, Long Shot, Brewer's Bite, Dirty Granny, Itchy Green Pants, um, Minimum Chips. Then we get down to Sasquatch, Wagging Tail, Yak, White Tail, Happy Snapper, Cloud Breaker, Slow Mo, The Ducks, Brewer's Pavilion, Lazy Yak, The Yaks, The Herd, Shady Yak, Wild Yak, Little Yak, Yakety Yak, Rusty Yak, <laughs> Matilda Bay Frothy, Lumber Yak. Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and I'm a very relieved man this week to find that Brisbane's mystery poo jogger was revealed not to be the man sitting in the co-host chair number one, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Oh, Pete, that uh, that story has left a stain on Brisbane's landscape, I tell you. Is it true that Green Slopes is being renamed Brown Slopes? Or is that, <laughs> it, just... <laughs> Mate, that's one of those stories that has just gone viral. So uh, unfortunately, I think Brisbane's going to take some time to live that one down. <laughs> I think so. Um, the yin to that, Yang, uh, joining us after a very successful and, dare I say, it, critically acclaimed debut a month or so back, uh, we'd like to welcome back PR guru Zoe Ottaway. G'day, Zoe. Hello. That was a lot nicer than I was expecting, given Matt's <laughs> intro. <laughs> Thank you for that, well, you know, it's just it's into every yang. We just got to make sure we just keep things, you know, clean things up a little bit. And um, and uh, but look, there's no there's no shame in picking the low hanging fruit as long as you also then you know plant something nice, a nice ornamental border. Oh, prof, there were so many puns in that. I I can't keep up. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I, I'm good for a metaphor every now and then when I'm not working on my dad gags. Love it. And uh, for the listeners making news this week, where we, uh, on Good Brews Week, we are going to look at Gage Roads makes inroads by paying a mozza for matzos. <laughs> Do you like that one? <clears throat> I'll just keep going. The Indie Seal is well received, and our lion joins the Merlion by opening an outlet in Singapore so that Donald and Kim Jong-un can have a beer after their successful meeting. Um, Matt, Gage Roads, onwards, upwards. First, they buy back the farm from Woolies. Uh, then they announced massive profits. They've got a stadium deal that's that's pretty groundbreaking. And now Matzo's, which, look, to be fair, was once probably, I guess, a, a shining example of a boutique brand that had a bit of provenance, had a bit of history, but then kind of lost its way a little bit. Um, is it worth 10 to $13 million, do you reckon? Yeah, look, first of all, I'd actually heard rumours that this was happening uh, for some time, um, and then it went it went down last Friday. It's an interesting one. Gage Roads is certainly on a tear with their um, various strategies, the stadium deals. I don't know that they've yet made a massive profit. I think they've announced a turnaround and an increase in sales, but I think you know, they're certainly showing um, some good signs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Matso is, is an interesting purchase for them because... Uh, you know, Matzo's has been around for a long, long time, you know, what, 15, 20 years, um, I, I, I think, and, you know, they you started... the brewery brand. It, yeah. the, the, the brewery, yeah, so, so there was the brewery um, at Matzo's in Broome, um, then they expanded into contract brewing, and, you know, they, they found favour with some of their uh, 
inverted commas, novelty um, beers. So their ginger beer and the, their the ginger chili beer, beer and the chili beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, they, they and the did, mango beer. And the mango beer. Sorry, yes. And uh, and so they seem to have let some of their other brands drop in a fairly competitive market. Um, and why wouldn't you if uh, if you've got a couple of those things that play well to the tourists? Um, Gage Roads knows the business very well because they've been brewing it since 2007. Um, and there's some nice, uh, you know, synergies um, for, for the two businesses because Matzo's isn't competing in anything that Gage Roads currently has and Gage Roads knows the business very well. So it, 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 it adds to that um, distribution channel. Um, and, you know, like it, it, I, I'm always minded when I see a deal like this um, about Cooper's saying, you know, when Cooper's started brewing things like Carlsberg under licence, then they brought out a low-carb beer and they've always been trying to find a, a lager um, and a mid-strength. And you sort of chat to them, you're like, you know, when Sparkling and Pale are doing so well, why do you add these other products into it, even if they're not um, huge earners for you? And, you know, Cooper's realised some time ago to grow that they can't just pick up that one spare tap in venues. They need to have venues that are sort of putting on a range of their beers. And if they've got a sales rep going in saying, well, we can give you a, a great ale, we can give you a low-carb beer, we can give you an international import, and we can give you you know, something else, then there's a portfolio um, that bigger publicans can just order you know, one thing and, you know, from one person and get a whole lot more through. So I presume there's a little bit of that. Um, and, yeah, it's just Gage Roads is looking at creating a more compelling, you know, broader offering in, in addition to, to their core beer. Is, is 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 my read on it? Yeah. So, from a PR point of view, what would you do to Matzos? Um, I wouldn't change it. I really think um, there's this expectation when um, breweries get acquired that things are going to change and everyone panics. But these businesses and brands get purchased for a reason, um, and there'll be obviously be some tweaking to bring it um, into the business model. But on the whole, if it ain't broke, um, you know, we really should be changing it. Um, as for the, you know, 13 million um, value, you know, as crazy as it sounds in today's well, in today's numbers, that's probably not a lot when you think about how much homes are starting to cost. Here you are getting a well-established brewery in a broom location um, for 13 mil. Like it's as crazy as it sounds. It's a lot of money, but Maybe it's actually not. Um, you know, I have a very East Coast view of Matzo's. I've had very limited um, exposure to it over here. But I can imagine a broom location, um, well-established in your you know, Western Australian community. Um, you know, Gage Rose is proving to be a very savvy business operator as well as a brewery. Um, and I think it's just great. I think it's really great for Western Australian beer and hopefully it helps raise the Matzo's profile nationally as well. Yeah, do you reckon it's a good opportunity to perhaps go for a bit of a brand refresh? And I only say that because I used to see a lot more of it, particularly like the Smoky Bishop and then the Perla's Pale Ale. Um, but now it's really sort of the focus seems to, or the volume focus certainly from the bigger retailers in Victoria seems to be the ginger beer, um, and, and that's about it. So is it? I, I don't know. Do you do you kind of take the opportunity to, I guess, give it a give it a, a spit and polish? There's definitely an opportunity to. I think you just got to be careful of your timing because people are expecting change and usually people associate change with 
um, negative um, impacts. So, you know, I think change has to happen slowly, um, you know, like slight label change, um, obviously no recipe changes. Um, and one great thing about Gage Roads is they're pretty transparent. Um, you know, they really are. Um, they're, they're great communicators, um, and I'm pretty sure they would be as respectful to the Matsos brand as their um, customers of both Matsos and Gage Roads would expect them to be. And Zoe, do you think that you know one of the appeals of Matsos, particularly when you are when you do look at the the ginger beer and the mango beer, that it is a broom based brand and that you'd have to be fairly careful to, you know, rebrand it as Gage Roads or, you know, bring it to the south south of of the state um, because you would lose some of that attraction in, in the identity? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely think so. Um, you know, Broom, one of the great things that Matzo's has got going for it is its locations. And there's very few breweries that can actually, you know, incorporate that tourism part into it, whether it's intentional or not, just purely by setting up their brewery there. Um, you know, Broom is, you know, it's 40 degrees here in Melbourne and miserable. Uh, would I give anything to be in Broom right now? And I've got months of this ahead of me where Broom's got beautiful weather. Like you can't help but have that connotation between that location of the brewery and what they're going through right now. I mean, Corona is a classic example of great marketing where, um, you know, like the connotations of where that beer can take you um, no matter where you are in the world. Um, so you'd, you would absolutely want to be careful that that brewing message stays true, even though Matzo's, they're always been proud of it, but it hasn't been their leading message. Um, but it still is part of that overall package that really does build that brand identity for the brand. The, the interesting thing for me, Prof, in terms of the pricing is, so Matzo's is valued at about $13 million, um, based on that uh, purchase, um, which, again, th- these things are pretty much costed on uh, you know, a multiple of um, earnings, bef- you know, the EBITDA um, value. Um, and so that's one way of calculating it. But the other interesting thing is Gage Roads is a bit of a standout in, in, in the beer landscape in terms of calculating pricing because, you know, if, if I went along to buy a Pirate Life or a Four Pines, then that's a private negotiation. And, you know, you, you need to work out how much that business is valued to me and how much potential I can get from that existing business. Whereas Gage Roads is a publicly listed company, you've got a pretty much day-to-day um, market appraisal of the value of the business. And uh, I think as of last Friday, the business was valued at $79 million, um, which is the share price multiplied by the number of shares in the marketplace. Um, the interesting thing about their purchase of Matso's is that they valued, their, in addition to the cash price, there are some performance bonuses over years one, two, and three, um, and they value the business at about a 20% premium to that even. So I, I think shares were trading on Friday at about $0.09, cents and um, if the performance targets are raised um, or are met, um, the owners of Matzo's will get an additional um, issue of shares that will be valued at a price of $0.12.5. So... It's just interesting. I know that a lot of people in the market, a lot of people who are looking at valuing businesses, use Gage Roads and its share price as a bit of a um, benchmark for how to value businesses because it's it's the market actually voting on a daily basis, uh, you know, on, on what the value is. Mm. 
There we go. Well, speaking of value, um, the Indy Seal, the new IBA Seal of Independence, ask for Indy, certified independent supporter, all that sort of stuff. Um, this is an interesting one for me. How do you reckon it's going, Matt? Oh, mate, it's it, it, early days. You know, so th- 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 this was one of Megan's uh, first articles for the uh, for the site. So welcome aboard, Megan. Um, but the IBA had been sending out um, through their PR people a series of media releases saying, you know, we're getting take up from Western Australian brewers, we're getting take up from Canberra brewers, and so we wanted to go speak to some of those breweries. Um, and Cheeky Monkey was one of the ones that they held up. But when we spoke to um, Ross Turlick. Uh, he said that you know we are picking it up, but then he also made the point that it takes time and there is cost involved in um, bringing these things to market because most brewers have you know two, three, four, six months of labels, and they need to wait for those to come through, and then they need to redesign their labels. And if they've just done a rebranding the way that Fortitude has, um, then they need to sort of <laughs> you know redesign them to t- Teddy. Yeah. And how do you fit it in and all that sort of stuff? And how do you fit it in? So there is a little bit of, um, you know, a, a, an adjustment period um, while we do it. But then we have seen um, a, a couple of breweries, I believe Malt Shed, um, when we posted this article, Malt Shed uh, came out and said that they had um, already got it on cans in the market, which is great. Um, a little bit later today, I'm speaking to Ben Krause for Beer as a Conversation because he's reordered his labels and he's also got tap clips and everything ready to go. Um and so, yeah, look, over the next six months, we are going to start seeing brewers doing this sort of, uh, you know, getting it on their labels. But, you know, right now, um, we are seeing a lot of brewers putting it in their social media, putting it, um, you know, in Stone and Wood have got it in their signature block um, of their emails. Um, you can start seeing, you know, shelf talkers or tap clips delivered to pubs um to to put on and that's something that can just go on straight away and so i i I think brewers are starting to embrace it and they are starting to really welcome the very powerful statement that they can make through using it does it work as well if it's not one in all in and and by that i mean you need to be a member a paid up member of the iba to be able to use the seal is that right i mean you do yeah um, because it's a it's an iba initiative yeah, there just seems to be a, bit, a little bit of pushback from some. I, I've just seen comments from some brewers, sort of saying, "Look, yeah, love the idea, but um, you know, we don't support it," kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I find that interesting because I, I think that they do support the idea of it, and I can't work out when the IBA is the association that champions independent brewers, and they're the ones who've created this seal. There is nothing stopping anybody from coming up with their own seal if they want and they can and ben Krause actually did have his own um similar style label that he put on his own beers some time ago yeah yeah and 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 this is probably a much better question for zoe um to talk about you know how, how you go out and you know establish a brand if you've got seven competing brands or seven brands that mean the same thing but they're by different people does that then dilute it and does that undermine the integrity of it but i think um you know i think it's a little bit unfortunate when the iba has led the charge on this that people have a fairly cynical view of the iba by saying well you need to be a member to to adopt it because you know that's what the iba is there to support independent brewers but zoe what what what, what do you think yeah i think i think we it's kind of getting back to the root of it all and understanding maybe why people are getting a bit cynical about it and i think understandably with most small businesses you know money is always a big cost so you know maybe their heart does 
um, support the ABA, but then the business head <laughs> side of the business maybe is struggling a bit. Um, but I think that's, again, a bit unfair in the AIBA. Um, you know, we need these bodies that help unite and bring that community, that craft beer is together. Um, you know, getting back to the, like, changes being rolled out over the next few months, there's huge financial costs to changing your packaging over as well. Like most people might not be aware that you can look at tens of thousands of dollars um, just to change your printing plates. Um, So, yeah, if you've gone through a rebrand in the last 12 months, it's not something that you have budgeted for um, probably for the next, you know, two, three, four years. Um, So maybe there's just a little bit of um, reluctance to get involved because of those financial um, burdens. Um, But, you know, the AIBA, to their credit, have offered um, the free um, ways to get involved now with the social media posts and um, the assets that venues can put up in stores. Um, So I think, yeah, we'll just see that in the coming coming months. I think more and more people will get behind it. Um, there definitely is strength in numbers. Um, too many um, too many versions of the same message does get diluted. Um, and you know that would be a shame given the strength that independent craft beer can have here in Australia. And we're seeing that over in the States as well, all the reports that they are um, releasing on the strength of their recent um, logo as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the next 12 months, who gets involved and um, to what extent. Did you guys uh, see the um, SBS, the feed, uh, their little piece on on craft beer? Um, speaking to, there was uh, Pat McInerney from Willie the Boatman, uh, Peter Lawler, who's a journo, Sydney-based, I think, Matt, with the Australian. He's probably best known as a cricket writer, but uh, he certainly yeah. uh, is, is a very good beer writer. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, interesting that um, the head of the, the Brewers Association sort of brought up that at the old chestnut about, um, you know, punters really don't care about uh, who owns their beer. I don't think it's as black and white as that. I think there's obviously a huge part of the um, market out there that don't care. We just have to look at the volume of, you know, the top three brands of Fat Yak, Creatures and um, Squires. So a huge part of the craft volume is there where people are just buying beer that they like and tastes good to them. There is undeniably, though, a growing trend to people wanting to support independent um, producers, not just in beer, but, you know, farmers markets, teas, artisan chocolate, or there are people just really wanting to get back to that feel of community. Um, You know, this is definitely me with my marketing hat on, but, you know, we live in such a curated world these days where, you know, people are living these perfect life on Instagram and everything's, you know, anything you want to know is just in your hand at any time via your smartphones, people really do want that sense of belonging and craft beer and the vision that an independent brewer um, portrays in that um, is getting more and more important. Um, My watch out is that independent isn't an automatic quality. I've already seen some messages coming about that, about, um, you know, we use this seal because we're the ones that care about air brewing Um, and I think that's not, a great thing for any brewery out there. Um, you know, there's some independent people doing some great stuff and there's also ones that, you know, they don't have access to the labs and they are releasing faulty beers. And we don't want people going, making that assumption that if they're new to craft beer and they're getting drawn in by the independent label and then they have a beer that isn't on par, that they relate that to the independents because that's not fair to the vast majority who are doing really great beers. 
Yeah, I did have issue with uh, with one quote in the thing that uh, you know, uh, craft beer is is a better product and better. And I was like, eh, yeah, we, it it could be, but um, yeah, the reality is, it, it's not a stamp of quality profits. You know, like it, no, exactly. it, 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 it is a mark, um, and it's a it's a mark that stands for something that doesn't. Um, guarantee quality, but it guarantees uh, an ownership. And you know, I, I, can't, I can't remember whether I've said this on the podcast. I've said it so many times to so many people who have asked about the independent logo and this line from the Brewers Association, which is not the Independent Brewers Association, but the Big Brewers Association, that people don't care about ownership. And you know, that's you know, like a, a Kim Jong Un type line. You know, of course he'd say that because that's what they want you to believe. But these guys spend a lot of money on marketing to get you emotionally invested in their brand, which they just wouldn't do if people don't care about ownership. Um, you know, and they can say what they want, but I, th- I think the big brewers are genuinely scared um, about this idea of ownership um, and the independence logo because you saw that in the US when the um, Brewer- American Brewers Association brought it out. You saw that video that AB InBev brought out with all of these small independent brewers trying to take the conversation and talk about beer quality and distribution and those sorts of things because they're genuinely worried about it resonating with people. And, and you know, we hear it over and over again. And it's why, you know, um, brewers were very reluctant to put the ownership on the, the you know, on their bottle and, uh, you know, even why you know, Mountain Goat back in the day when they were independent didn't want to draw attention to the fact that a lot of their beer was being made from Asahi because all of that gets away from the creation myth and that emotional attachment that people have to a brand. And, you know, it, it, they can run that line as much as they want, but it is just completely, uh, you know, a, a, a furphy and a distraction. I completely agree. I, I like transparency in brands whether it's beer or anything i think if you own that conversation no one else can take it from you and if you're proud of the beers you're putting out it shouldn't be mattering if they're brewed in your tiny little nano brewery or if it's been contract brewed and hopefully this um, independent cell does start nudging breweries to be both independent and um foreign owned to be a bit more open about that because yeah that mountain goat example is a great one and there's still breweries out there doing that exact same model where most people would have no idea um does that mean they're all of a sudden not going to like that beer well that's that's a much more emotional question um but if that's important to them they should be knowing about it yeah i would argue that rather than the punter doesn't care about ownership uh, i would replace that with the punter doesn't know about ownership in, in most cases, and I'll use just a, a small example. Um, bumped into a, a, an old schoolmate um, who's gone on to to do fairly well, and he's um, in in the public eye as an entertainer. Uh, and we got having a bit of a chat over a beer, and you know, just got talking about beer. He goes, "Oh yeah, what's that you're drinking?" I said, you know, "Whatever it was." And um, he said, "Oh yeah, that's that's a little." Okay, well, no, it's actually. And it, we had a conversation. We picked you know four or five beers that he really enjoys drinking. He had absolutely no idea that they were all brewed by. Um, by one or one or or other of the the big multinationals. So I would argue that you know even educated people who kind of you know their job is to kind of I guess keep an eye on current trends and news and pop culture and all that sort of thing um, have had no idea. I think that I think there's a lot of that. 
Absolutely, Prof. And, and, and you know, like, and, and that's why the, the, the labels are designed, you know, whether it's a, a Dan Murphy's or a Woolworth's private label beer or a, um, you know, a, a beer that comes from a, a big brewery, um, they're designed to look small and artsy and crafty and they've always got a nice little narrative on the back that tells you about the founding myth and I mean it got even Han Super Dry which was a beer that Chuck Han would never have actually launched within his life is spinning the yarn about you know Chuck Han and his three mates getting together back in the 80s to to create a brewery because they love these foundation myths and they love telling a story because they know that it's not just about the quality of the beer um, anyway but yeah, so I, I, I think that having the logo appear on tap points and on shelf points is going to provide a really direct challenge to consumers to they, they actually have to make an active decision um, about where their dollar goes, and it's going to be much easier for them to um, make that to, to make that decision. And if it resonates with them, um, I think we I think it will have a really big impact. Yeah, uh, something else that's, uh, that Lion are certainly hoping to have a big impact is their new uh, bar in Singapore. So our Lion meets the Merlion. Did you like a, the way I did that? That was a little bit of a historical reference because the Merlion is the, um, it, it's like the creature symbol emblem of, of Singapore. Of the harbour, yeah. Nice, nice yeah. work, Prof. This is why you're hmm. a pro. I do a little bit of research in my spare time. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, obviously capitalising, and their, their key message, I guess, is that not only does the region um, have a thirst, pardon the pun, for uh, Australian beer, but they also want that brand recognition or um, brand security, if that's a word. I don't know. I think they like a, a touch point. Um, you know, it, it's a place so you're not a big faceless corporation. And just having a tiny little brewery that you can go with, I mean, that's a smaller play of itself because they still want to sell a lot more bottled beer and tap beer elsewhere. But it just gives somebody, you know, it, when you're thinking of the Little Creatures brand in Singapore or in Hong Kong um, or even in London, you're not thinking of this big Japanese-owned, you know, heavy industry company that owns a brewery, that owns a brewery, that owns a brewery. You're thinking about, oh, that place that I interacted with the brand. Is that a fair read, Zoe? Oh, absolutely. It gives a, a home um, and a place where, you know, you, you stop being just that label on a shelf and on a very cluttered shelf. Um, and the smart thing about going to Hong Kong and Singapore is the expat community too that would have this, you know, just so much pride um, in having a little creature's brewery that they can go to um, regardless, again, if they're aware or not or care or not about the ownership, um, you know, when during my time at Little Creatures, um, easily 50% of people would say Little Creatures Pale Ale is what got me into craft beer. It's the first you know, pale ale I ever drunk. The other 50% was out fail. Went, oh, I've been to that place in Fremantle. It was amazing. My kids ran around. I had amazing pizza. And it actually wasn't about the beer at all. It was about this experience that they associated while having a beer. Um, so to bring that into the hustle and bustle of these cities that have a huge expat community and then can be launching pads for other um, venues across the globe, um, it's a really smart move. And Little Creatures has, you know, they have what's quite unique is this real experiential side to their brand because of the homes that they do have um, and the way they've had their branding, you know, since um you know the three guys set it up so um they're really able to recreate a true home overseas if they follow that same um that same feel rather than just opening up a brew bar that just has branding through it um they can really create that 
that experiential um, home overseas is, again. And, and Zoe, how important to that brand is it that they have, even if it's only a small brew house, but they have they actually brew beer on site? Because I, I think my, I, I guess I lament the fact that the um, the beer hall in in Brunswick um, didn't flourish. Um, and you know the insider's word is, well, you know, had we been able to have that mezzanine, have have, have the brewery that they wanted to put in there, that was, I, I don't know whether it was. The, business decision or whether it was knocked back on you know a development application or whatever um but it's sort of sad that we can get one in singapore we can't keep one in in brunswick yeah yeah i I would say for the overseas um venues again it, it would be so important because that's the whole purpose of being there um otherwise you're just a bar that you know pretty much just has the one beer um you need to have that that journey for people to come into, um, you know, the story that they can actually be a part of. Um, and, you know, I think that's why, you know, craft beer is flourishing and so many more people are enjoying the real stories behind craft beer is because you can start to go to these places that, you know, used to be locked away and, you know, especially here in Australia where, you know, um, you know, I'm yet to do the film Groove over, but, you know, if you go to the US and, Craft breweries are such a hub and there's a real, um, you know, sense of belonging when you go visit them. Um, you know, when when I did work at Mountain Goat, I used to be so proud that I'd walk to work and then I could just smell my workplace and I could see it and I could taste it. And, you know, you get really emotional. There's these real connectors to um, breweries that a lot of, you know, bars just can't recreate. Um, and there's something special about knowing that, this beer that you're drinking got made only meters away from you and it's, and you can see the tank and you can see where the ingredients are being kept and you can see high vis um you know they're all factors that you just you just can't buy that stuff it's either genuine and it's there or it's not yeah you can't paint it on no no it's, it's yeah. something you can't, you can't you can't be fake with you can't recreate it and there's probably too. There's a bit of a, a bit of value in the fact that they won't be brewing any of the core brands there, obviously, but they'll be doing sort of local seasonals. And I was speaking to Dave Byrne from um, Pasteur Street Brewery in Saigon, um, and he was sort of saying one of the things that the locals really love is that you know when autumn comes around and there's a certain fruit that's available, you know, I can brew a beer with that, or you know, um, in the summer we do this, you know, a summer ale that's, you know fairly exclusive to to that region or that neighbourhood kind of thing. So there's obviously a fair bit of value in in having, you know, inverted commas, your own beer. Oh, absolutely. Like it'd be essential to brew for your locals because they're your customers. Um, again, I think we spoke about this in my last visit. You know, it's, marketing's not about the message you want to tell anymore. It's about what your customers are telling you, what they want to hear. Um, and if you're brewing in um, Singapore or Hong Kong or London and you're trying to be 100% Aussie, well, you know, that's your theme. But if you're trying to be a brewery and you're there for the local community and you want them to embrace you, it's an absolutely a smart move um, to be incorporating things that they relate to and things that they'll be proud of um, to share that experience with. Yeah, and I think one thing that uh, Creature certainly has on the uh, runs on the board in terms of is um, they it won't be a cliched Australian, you know, outback steakhouse kind of um, vibe. I'm sure. Yeah, I can guarantee that. I think <laughs> I think it's really fun. But they've also done the right thing too by you know testing the grounds a bit. I think in Singapore and Hong Kong before heading out to London, um, where I think London one maybe there would have been a bit of a pressure to maybe go the whole Aussie 
um, Aussie bar theme um, where they can kind of yeah, test waters first before hitting you know, a, a, what I would think to be a much um, more challenging market in London. Yeah, I don't think they'll come up with something that's kind of, you know, um, a themed, you know, Earl's Court from the late 70s, early 80s, mm. kind of Barry McKenzie themed kind of thing in London. Um, and we should point out, yeah, Lion planning to open um, the third of these similar sorts of venues in London by the end of the year. All right. Uh, that's not a rumour. That's, that's you know, Lion has said that. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. What is a rumour though, Matt, that I heard this morning? Um, CB are going to bring out VB in 500ml cans. Well, Matt, I, I, have to, I have to take your word on that. Um, I, I didn't. I don't listen to three O three AW myself. Um, very but, very reputable source. The the room file is rarely wrong. Well, it, look, fascinating if they do that. Um, I didn't know that uh, that they ever had before until you told me that they actually had uh, done that before. But it was the other room. Uh, I reckon back in the yeah 50s, 60s, 70s around there. I just I just recall going to the old Western Oval, which is now the Witten Oval, with my um, with my nana, and she'd take us to the footy, and there'd be blokes around who you know, drinking out of the out of the old steel cans my memory is that they were about as big as my head they may have actually been 375 but they you know that we were given two empties each um my brother and i to stand on so you could see over the the bloke in front of you in the in <laughs> the standing room like so stilts? they served a purpose you know <laughs> well I'd, I'd never tried to stack them I, you know I, I, even back then as a five or six year old i i, I had you know, some consideration for uh, Oak Health and Safety. Um, but, yeah, so whether or not it's it's going to be brought back as a, as a heritage sort of thing or whether it's just a rumour, I, I don't know. Zoe, what do you reckon? Gosh, that's a big one. It'd be interesting to see. Um, this is a good rumour. I'm, yeah, excited to see what comes of it. They, are they tooled up to do 500ml cans at any of their I'd facilities? presume it'd just be a matter of changing a couple of settings on the... I, 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 I don't know, Prof. I, I, I honestly don't, I don't know. know if it's as simple as just saying, oh, we'll just get the 375ml canning line and we just adjust the the capper. Um, the, but that's you know, the what, uh, I mean, you, you do see like breweries like um, Bolter, you know, they had their, they've got 330ml cans and then when they put black metal disco into cans, it was the 500ml. Uh, it was the 500, can. yeah, it was too. And the so, double IPA was. Yeah, yeah. So, so you do see breweries able to do it. So I'd imagine it's just a matter of you know changing a few settings and rolling it out. Um, you know, assuming it's the uh, same thing. I just sort of, you know, so it wouldn't it, be as as one wag suggested. You wouldn't you wouldn't tank VB out to Pirate Life and get them to to can five hundred mil VBs out there. No, no. But I'd, look, they're they're throwing spaghetti at a wall with uh, VB. You know, it's it's in decline. They're trying to work out how to sort of make it relevant again or whatever and you know maybe the kids are all drinking 500 litre 500 mil cans and there'll be a bit of hipster retro appeal i don't know who, who knows but it's uh, it was more the other um tip that you heard that i i found quite interesting 
Yeah. Um, CUB uh, have been planning um, in the same way that when they brought out, and we've discussed this on the on the podcast before, Matt, um, CUB brought out Great Northern yep. and then Lion says, oh, okay, well, we need a Great Northern killer. So they've come up with Iron Jack. Lion comes up with Furphy. Does CUB now say, or have CUB been sort of saying, right, we need a Furphy killer? And um, have or have not um, CUB registered a trademark application for Frothy? Well, yes, they have. So uh, that was what you'd heard, that they've got a uh, Furphy killer that they're calling Frothy. Um, And, you know, so straight away, these guys never quite go, uh, you know, they, they don't just suddenly do something today and decide something today and do something tomorrow so there's a bit of a process so you can always find a few fingerprints and um yeah um it looks like they've registered matilda bay frothy as a but that goes back to january actually they, they lodged it so maybe they are getting close to to releasing it and these stories they, these rumors often hit 3aw when they're just at the pre-release stage where they've got the, the, the beer ready. They're starting to go out to some trade partners and everyone loves a bit of gossip. Everyone loves to be the first. So th- there seems to be some truth in the rumour. Am I too cynical, Matt, to suggest that even perhaps somebody from CB's marketing department has, has thrown that out um, by way of, you know, getting it out as a bit of a teaser? Um, oh, no, I, I think they, they, they like to control the launch a little bit more. Um, you know, they would rather go to, uh, you know, the Herald Sun um, and have photos of you know bright young things drinking uh, frothy in, in in a pub um, with a big launch. So I think you know they, they do go out to trade and they do start getting pre-orders and they start briefing, you know their their big key accounts, um, which is what they did with Iron Jack. Um, but you know to to me, it going back to the the independence thing, Prof. You know it, it's not about quality. It, it's it's in no way saying anything bad about um, the the beers that are from the the big breweries. You know that they, they, they are really good and they um, nothing negative. But one of the things that um, you you know that, that has been explained to me is that you know the the, the big brewers match race. So if one does something, the you know if one tax, the other tax. If they tack back, they tack back. And this is a great example of that. They're not really creating much new in, in, in the market, but they've one of them has hit onto something that does well, so the other launches the same thing. And let's face it, Great Northern was basically a domestic knockoff of Corona. Clear bottle, low um, lager. Everything, was, yeah, yeah, flavour, bitterness. Yep. Absolutely no innovation, really. It was just a clever marketing play um, that found a demographic and resonated with people and so Lion came out with that. And that's exactly the same thing in reverse. You know, Lion, you know, they actively didn't want to talk about Furphy for a long time because they were really clever with the way that they designed the strategy and it went out. It is just, like, it is resonating in the marketplace and it is actually changing sales figures for craft beer in the marketplace. And now CUB thinks, geez, we need to be in that market as well. Um, but I'll just... <laughs> You know, I, I find the most interesting thing about it, Prof, is that it's a Matilda Bay frothy, that they're finally sort of putting something on Matilda Bay's narrow shoulders. Well, that's they've just registered that. They could still use frothy just as in the same way as Furphy does. It doesn't have any, you know, it's it's brewed at the old mystery mill down at Geelong um, on the according to the neck tag. Um, and if you know what you're looking for, you can see that it's brewed by Lion, but it's it's certainly not obvious. So would they would they attach Matilda Bay to that given that they've kind of Left that to rot on the vine. Um, let me see. I'll just have a quick chat while we're while we're here. Maybe get just... maybe fat frothy. 
Well, or yak frothy. No, well, frothy see, yak. but that's but that's frothy the thing. Yak. They're not calling it uh, a yak, so they're not putting it out under the yak because all of the yaks are under their own. Yeah, you know, like you've you've got. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll read out the last yes. couple of uh, trademarks that Matilda Bay Brewing Company have uh, have registered, Prof, because they really are trying a lot of different things. Little Ripper, Sebastian, Oink, Fat Yak, Barking Flamingo, Barking Duck, Garage Reserve, Big Helga, um, Long Shot, Brewer's Bite, Dirty Granny, Itchy Green Pants, um, Minimum Chips. Um, then we get down to Sasquatch, Wagging Tail, Yak, White Tail, Happy Snapper, Cloud Breaker, Slow Mo, The Ducks, Brewer's Pavilion, Lazy Yak, The Yaks. The Herd, Shady Yak, Wild Yak, Little Yak, Yakety Yak, Rusty Yak, <laughs> Matilda Bay Frothy, Lumber Yak. Is there an apple, apple Yak in there? The, the, <laughs> the last one is Lumber Yak, which is a photo of the famous Yak head on a uh, crisscross pattern with, 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 with an apple <laughs> hanging off. So, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> oh, okay. They do know that to harvest um, apples, you don't need to actually cut the tree down <laughs> using a lumberjack. You can't actually just pick yeah, the anyway, fruit, low yeah. hanging or not. So, so the old uh, um, innovation centre is churning through the ideas at the moment, and uh, we could see a <laughs> we we could see a frothy yak. But and what, while we were talking about that, um, looking at Furphy, Furphy is actually listed as a registered trademark. Um, so they managed to get Furphy as a as a trademark. They do have Furphy Refreshing Ale, Draft Beer, and Legend and Furphy. But Furphy itself, they haven't needed Matilda Bay. Um, frothy, because I think you'd have a really hard yeah. time registering frothy as itself. Oh, okay, yeah. Hmm. But anyway, Zoe, what do you think of uh, when one brewery does something, the next does the same thing? As a marketer, it makes me sad. It's it's a beer that is purely there for marketing's sake, like that's undeniable. And by doing it, you've immediately given power to your the opposition that's not you to do it. Like there's nothing smart about this is purely just a reactive beer put on the market to just try and steal some of that market share. Um, you know, there's been no identified gap in the market. There's been no listening to consumers and what they want. It's just purely about going after your competitor. Um, and it worries me because, you know, Furphy, well, most people might not know that Furphy was always a part of Little Creatures before the acquisition. It was planned when... Um, when the guys were doing the um, the search around Australia for the second site along the east coast, um, that they already had in the plans to release um, what would be, I guess, the beer associated to that brewery, just as the association to the Little Creatures Pale Ale has quite strong Fremantle roots. Um, so they always saw that setting up the brewery, it was important to give it its own beer. And the discussion with the Furphy family was well underway and the use of their name was... Um, against that beer was established before the line acquisition. So there's always been this sense of community. The way Furphy got rolled out being just around Geelong and then to Warnable and then eventually to Ballarat and Bendigo and just that real slow release out, um, again, really um, ingrained itself in the community. Um, there's people, you know, they're just so – and the branding is unapologetically Victorian as well. Like there's people just – they're so proud of that beer because it represents their neighbourhood. And then if you go and create a brand that's purely there to try and steal some of that market share, you don't have, again, like we were talking about before, you don't have those genuine stories. You don't have that connection for people to get involved with. It will just become a price battle. It, the beer will probably be very, very similar. Um, they'll try to pit Furphy um, in the um, pricing and then just like there's just nothing smart about 
um, I think about it, as I said, from a sales point of view. And, and in fact, the other big risk, um, I reckon, guys, is that um, you, Furphy has, you know, magnificent figures and, and it's going absolute gangbusters, but it looks like it may actually be taking sales away from Lion's other brands because their their, their market share is dropping overall. So it's possible that people have found Furphy and now don't drink Ted's or they don't drink Han Super Dries or they don't drink um, whatever, you know, Forex uh, Summer Bright Lager or whatever it might be. So the risk, I guess, that CUB takes is that they bring out a frothy and then people stop drinking Great Northern or they stop drinking VB or whatever to, to take that up. And, and that's that's the thing about um, Furphy. Furphy is a really clever bit. You, you, you may, you know, you, you, you see the Facebook post, meh, and... Fair enough. Like it, it, it's a really nice, easy drinking beer, but it's really ignited this market, Prof. And uh, you know, I, I thought Zoe's comments were spot on and much more eloquent than my own one. Um, but that's why small independent brewers matter because if it's left to um, you know the, the biggest breweries, they would much rather sell uh, fewer beers to more people. Um, and just cut into the other's market. And, you know, I've used the analogy in the past, you know, two penguins fighting over a shrinking iceberg. They don't want to try and make their patches bigger. They just want to fight over um, marketing spoils. And it's, it, it's if, if, if all of the small little breweries went away, you would see the interest in the beers that really give vibrancy and colour to the, to, to the beer market go away with them because the big the big guys just would not be interested in those margins um were it not for the small breweries no uh, look we do need to leave it there in terms of the news of the week um watch this space and we'll just see what happens as a result of of those rumors um matt we have a letter of the week this is from daniel Ridd, and it's a cracker um vis-a-vis our uh, discussion last week about um cool freighting Beers over to uh, across across the Nullarbor by avoiding the Nullarbor. Hi guys, I discovered your show about twelve months ago. Been listening to Good Brews Week in the car on my commute from Bendigo to my job in Ballarat every Monday morning. In the latest edition of Good Brews Week, I found the discussion around Rick, Rick Dexter's efforts in craft beer logistics interesting and encouraging. However, I couldn't help being a little cynical. As a director of the Ballarat Beer Festival, it would be good if Rick could influence or educate some of the Ballarat retailers about the importance of fresh beer. There are what I consider to be three main outlets in Ballarat, he names them, which carry a good range of independent craft beer. Unfortunately, two of these venues carry so much stock that I question whether the turnaround is sufficient to ensure stock is reasonably fresh. Uh, I would also estimate that less than a quarter of their beer uh, craft beer is refrigerated. By contrast, in Bendigo, where I've lived for just over five years, the main outlets where I purchase craft beer, and he names them, have the vast majority, if not all, of their stock refrigerated. They're also not as heavily stocked as the Ballarat, out- Ballarat outlets, which I'm sure goes a long way to ensuring the beer on hand is fresh. That's from Daniel Ridd. Thank you very much, Daniel. Um, apart from being our letter of the week and winning a um, six-pack from our good and a friends bottle of beer cartel. From our- Good friends at Beer Cartel, as well as a lovely branded beer brew, uh, Brews News bar blade with which to open them, unless they send you cans, in which case, in which case you can use the other end of the uh, the bottle opener. Um, but you've also, I guess, touched on something really interesting. It does raise an interesting point because we do talk about beer freshness and things, and you know, you, you see some really good little bottle shops um, or you know, bottle shops that are out there that are saying all of the right things about beer and educating people, and um, you know, sort of looking at you know raising the standard of service and the knowledge and all of those sorts of things. But yet, 
there is also a, a lot of them that feel the need to be all things to everybody and they line their shelves with everything they can get their hands on. And, you know, I, I don't know what the metric is, but, you know, any one bottle shop can only turn over so much beer um, whilst it, it, it's still fresh. Um, so it, it was an interesting point that he raised that, yes, some bottle shops are just, aren't, well, sorry, the question is, are some bottle shops just stocking too many beers and in doing so not really serving their customers as well as they like? They're, they're catering to demand that's not being met. Um, yeah, it's probably fair to say too, and I've got a fair bit of experience having done, uh, I think now six or seven um, Ballarat Beer Festivals with the original guys and then and, and more recently with Rick, um, as well as uh, working in Bendigo with the Bendigo Craft Beer Festival. The, the two towns are very different. They're, they're both maturing, but Bendigo, I think, is, is, um, is spot on, and Daniel really puts it into sharp focus, way ahead in terms of, you know, less is more, um, but also that... You know, proudly displaying. You know, we have three hundred beers uh, on tap, you know, or uh, you know, available. Um, I was recently in Devonport, and uh, we were taken to the Empress Bar, which is kind of like the, the sister venue of St John Craft Beer in in Launceston. Um, uh, four fridges, um, you know, a, a couple of a facing of each of you know, there might be a hundred or so beers, but when one goes, they'll replace that with. Uh, either the same one if it's if it's really popular or something different they won't add to um th- which i think you know that's what daniel's getting at sometimes you just got to sort of go yeah let, let's let's just put stuff in that'll move uh let's you know i can offer you five different ipas i can offer you five different gold nails and six different lagers and whatever it might be but i'm not going to offer you you know 30 of each it's interesting to know who they're stuck in the shelves for. So, yeah, these venues, using Croft's example, of 300 beers available. Do Are they actually having customers who want that or is it their idea of what a good beer um, bar offers? Um, because, you know, as we all know, freshness is the key here. And, again, when people are getting introduced to craft beer, you know, if that's their first, you know, what they might see as being a proper IPA and it's six months old, that's not doing the brewery, it's not doing the venue and it certainly isn't doing the customer any favours. Um, you know, as um, you know, Prof said, like St John's in Launceston is amazing and if you go in there, they've got a nice tight range. Um, I would much rather go somewhere that goes, here's our five IPAs and here's the reasons we've chosen these five and be completely knowledgeable and they're fresh then go into one that has 30 and there's yeah. no real expectation behind it. They're all starting to get on the on the um, use by. Um, it's all about that, again, the story of it all. And I'm sure within that five, I'd still be able to find one that I like. And if they're turning them over, if I'm a regular, I know that I'll still be able to try new things on another visit. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good to be having more volume than you can move and the beer is paying the price for it. And, and I don't think it shows um, knowledge or leadership. It's a, it's a fairly easy thing to do, just take a carton of everything. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, some of the best bottle shops uh, that I know curate um, and, you know, they, they, they get the best. And if they bring something new in, there's always something new that you can try. But if there's one in, there's one out. Um, and that means that they're always turning over and they're, they're providing a better service in, in, in that sense to their customer. One of the first lessons I got taught um, by Russ at Little Creatures was um, treat beer like milk. 
And um, I think this is a good example. Like you don't need shelves with you know six months worth of milk on them. You just want to be selling fresh and drinking now. Um, and I think yeah, it, we just the beer has to come first, and your customers will t- you know you will learn from them what they need and what they want. But if they're not asking for three hundred different beers, there's um, yeah, it's probably worth rethinking the business model as to why you have three hundred different beers. Exactly. Drink fresh. And that, I think, is probably as good a note as any to finish up on. It's been fascinating. And this is, uh, thank you for joining us, Zoe. This is why we get professionals on. It's my pleasure. I love doing this. I love talking beer and I love talking marketing. And um, yeah, it's nice to have a platform to share my views on. So thank you. Where can people follow more of your musings and your your business, particularly your, your, your business expertise? Absolutely. So I'm one half of Totem Marketing. Um, We're an independent agency uh, specialising in branding, socials and communications for small producers. Um, We're pretty new, so we're on the socials under Totem Marketing. Um, Website is hopefully a couple of weeks away. Um, We're living proof of that saying that plumbers always have the dripping taps. Um, Marketers always have their websites slow to get up. Um, so we're working on that bit Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Zoe Ottaway um, and I'm also one of the vice presidents of Pink Boots Society um, so you can be found via the Pink Boots page as well Cool and uh, on Facebook you're Totem Marketing Totem Marketing Um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn Sweet Zoe, thanks very much again for joining us. I can only echo echo Matt's sentiments that it is lovely to have um, a professional viewpoint and um, keeping us in order. So thank you very much for joining us again and hopefully we can get you on in um, future episodes. Anytime. We also hope that we can uh, get you, dear listeners, um, in in future episodes. Uh, Watch this space. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, enjoy your, your next beer. And we're out.